Hi, I'm Austis Jamstotter-Anerud, former Olympic javelin thrower turned mental performance mentor and mom of two. Join me and my incredible guests as we explore the mind's role in peak performance. Let's unlock your mental strengths together. This is the Athlete Zone podcast. Welcome to episode number two. In this episode, I'm going to have my first interview. I will be interviewing my good friend and former competitor, Kara Winger. She has such an inspiring story. If you don't know who Kara is, she was a javelin thrower like me. She's a four-time Olympian. She burst out on the international scene, on the world scene, in 2010 when she broke the American record and threw 66-67. But then she didn't have a PP for 12 years. Just imagine how tough that would be for you. Yeah, she persevered through all of that. She had three catastrophic injuries in the meantime, but then she had the fairy tale ending to her career when she came in her last season. She took silver at the world championships on home soil. She won the Diamond League final and she took back her American record with a world lead of 68-11. I... I'm so proud that I can bring you the story of Kara. She is such an inspiring role model and you can learn so much from her. And we had such a great chat. We laughed, we cried. You have to hear it. It's long, I know, but you can't miss this one. So let's just dive right in. Here's Kara. Hey, Kara, welcome. Thank you, my friend. It's so good to see you. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you so much for joining me on this, well, first interview episode on the Athlete Zone podcast. I'm proud of you for diving right in, and I'm honored to be your first guest. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm happy you're here. So since I already introduced you a little bit in the intro that you did not hear, mm-hmm. I want to ask you to tell us your story briefly, because not everybody who's going to listen knows who Kara is. So just a little short about your background. Who's Kara? Okay, great. I am American, first of all, uh, from the United States of America. I grew up in Washington State, which is like the northwest corner of the country. And in the U.S., we have only um, like almost half of the states in the public school system that offer the javelin as a sport, like as an event in track and field. And Washington happens to be one of them. So that was my introduction to the javelin. It's like my freshman year. I was 14, 15 years old. Um and just was going to try something new after playing lots of sports growing up. Uh, And it happened to be the thing that I continued to do for 20 years. So long story, uh, accolades, I guess, first, which isn't the actual story, as I know we'll talk about. Um, Went to the Olympics four times, made six world championships teams, um, and really had my breakout international season in 2010, which is when I broke the U.S. national record for the first time um, and did not improve materially, like had some really good season, good international success for the next 12 years, um, but had decided to end my career in 2022 and magic ensued. But I had a lot of injuries along the way as well that kind of gave me perspective um, and helped me decide to keep pushing forward in the event, in the sport, like in my career for a lot of different reasons that kind of changed over time. And I, I view injuries as opportunities and they very much were that, especially my second ACL tear in 2020. So, um, yeah, 
javelin thrower, been retired for a year uh, and kind of finding my way in the world, but still loving being involved with the sport that really shaped me. Oh, wow. That was actually a very good, very brief summary. And we're going to dive into, you already gave me a lot of gold nuggets there because as you probably know, and everybody's going to find out now, this is, this podcast is all about the mental side of the sport. So I'm not going to go through, you know, what happened then and year by year, your whole career. But one thing that you said there, and this is something that a lot of athletes struggle with. I know that you broke your American record in 2010. And then you did not improve. I'm diving deep into, <laughs> into those things right away. So I'll just dive right in there. But you did not have a PB for 12 years. And I know that a lot of people are very impatient. And it's just you want to see improvement every, every time, like every meet, at least every season. And not having that for 12 seasons, how did you cope with that? So when I threw, it was 66, 67 um, in 2010, and I had a really good season otherwise, too. I had a lot of 64-meter competitions. Um, That was the first year of the Diamond League, and I finished second overall. Um, Barbara's photographer actually told me, she told me in, like, 2019, she said, Kara, no, I was scared of you. (laughs) Oh, I'm not surprised, and she should have been. I mean, I was there, obviously, competing against you. You were really consistent, and you really jumped like you broke out on the scene and you were really up there every competition. Thank you. And for her to say that to me, like the absolute goat of the javelin was so precious. I, that was like one of the most, the biggest compliments of my career for sure. But, um, that was the thing. I was so young. I was 24 coming around out of college, um, in the U S system. And, uh, I hadn't been consistent in college. So I was very determined to like really prove myself, um, on the international scene professionally, like just prove to myself that like this was something I was going to be good at. And I just kind of, I think the change in environment, change in perspective, change in kind of why I was doing it. It wasn't to pay for college. It was like, this cool thing that I didn't expect to get paid for in my life and why not be great at it? Like it was this very fresh time. Um, and you know, my boyfriend at the time, husband now was also a discus thrower, um, and shot putter. So like we just had this kind of beautiful bubble of like professional athletics that a lot of Americans don't get to enjoy. And we were supported in ways that I know we were really lucky to be supported in, like by our national governing body at a training center. Like it was just really cool. Um, but for all those reasons, and because I had improved every season as like such a young athlete, I didn't recognize like how significant that season was. Like I did on a certain level. I loved it. I was like so proud of myself for bursting onto the scene, but I was like, Oh, of course that'll keep happening. Right. Like I was very naive about like, I did it once I'll do it again every single year and it'll be totally fine. Um, the coach that I had at the time, like there's a lot of wisdom in like, you do something really well at first do that in a similar way and you'll probably get similar results we did not do that we went a completely different direction like all of the training changed okay and I was right and I was too young to understand that that was not a good idea and so I just like why wouldn't I have trusted this coach like he got me to 2010 yeah of course I will trust him going forward but it was just a disaster and so that part was I think the hardest it wasn't in the beginning about PRs it was like how do I trust 
the system around me and myself to know what's best for me when I didn't in 2011. Like I crashed and burned and was like crying in every major stadium in the world. Um, Just so like my second world team experience was not great. And uh, I just felt so lost. Uh, Followed that up with ACL tear number one in 2012. Um, And just like, it wasn't about PRs. It was about like, can I be anywhere close to as good as I was in 2010? Like so quickly I was, I felt on top of the world and then just knew that I wanted to get back to that level, but was it going to be physically capable? Uh, and the gift of injury and mental toughness was like really the thing. So how did I get through it? How did I deal with like not PRing? I had a lot of reasons to understand why it wasn't happening for a really long time. And it was harder in like the 2019, 2020 era when I had a different coach, Um, who was my very good friend, like I had a much better system and was more consistent, but didn't hit that like top level. So it was just like, am I now old enough that I'm not physically capable? Like for different reasons, it's not happening. Like I feel good enough that it should be right there, like a, a PB. And I threw 64 meters for like five years straight before the 2022 season. Um, But yeah, I think there were a lot of reasons outside of just training that I didn't throw a personal best for 12 years. And I was like able to understand that uh, I was making miraculous comebacks. They just weren't the most miraculous until it actually was. But when you say you were able to understand it, at what point? You mean then in the 2019, 2020 or... You know, at that point, it's been like nine, ten years. But what about, you know, in the first years? I I can understand, like, you have a bad season in 2011, and then you have an injury, and it takes some time to come back from that. And when you're coming back, how is it, like, to find that motivation when, you know, to to really keep going and going through all of that? Did You you said mental toughness. What did you do? So I'm really good at, like, little daily victories. Right. And I think that that can be really hard to translate into the bigger giant goals. Um, when you have so many reasons to like rely on the little daily victories for a long time. So in 2012, I tore my ACL, but I didn't tear it until Olympic trials in the U S. So it was only like five weeks before the Olympic games in London. And I made the team. I got second at trials. I tore my knee on my fourth throw. And I only tore my ACL. Like, it wasn't my entire knee. It wasn't meniscus, MCL, everything. It was, like, just the most important ligament. (laughs) Only? (laughs) (laughs) So I went to the games anyway. And um, the reason for that is I didn't take anyone else's spot. Like, we had two other women on the U.S. team at the games, but we didn't have a fourth, like, possible attendee. Like, we didn't have a fourth qualifier. So I wasn't taking anyone else's opportunity. Like, no one else would have gone if I didn't go. Uh, And that was really important to me. Like, I didn't want to show up injured and know that somebody was at home that could have done a better job. Oh, yeah, that would have been tough. Right. And like, how would I explain that to anybody? Like, it would not have been a good look. So I did my best, but I think it hindered me in a lot more ways than I understood at the time, too, because I was just like, operating on fear for five weeks and at the games. 
like every it hurt and I couldn't predict like when my knee would shift because the the role that your ACL plays is that your femur like it prevents your femur from shifting backwards yeah so in the the mechanisms of the javelin like your block leg needs to be stable yeah (laughs) I I don't understand like I remember this time I didn't understand how you did it I was so impressed when you came to London it's like, you. how can you? I mean, it must have been tough. I went through similar things in Beijing. I was injured before. And, and this journey going into the Olympics, you know, being injured, knowing you, you're kind of hoping that you can do it. And all this fear, the fear of the pain. How did you cope with that? Yeah, you're exactly right. Because it's, it's desperation rather than like, like a letting go of the results. Like there's no when you're that focused on the pain, um, it can be really hard to just relax. Like you just can't, I did not cope with it very well. Like I was like losing my mind crying the day before qualifying. And a thing that helped me and that has helped me like always come back was community. Um, and like my team, my, my coaches, like my training partners, et cetera. But, um, Goldie Sayers had, thrown the British record like at the London Diamond League right before the London Olympics, like her home Olympics and the throw after or two throws after her PB, she tore her elbow. Oh, oh yeah. So so we're in the same qualifying flight and I like didn't know the story. I think she kept it under wraps too. Um, and I had done the same thing, like only told people that needed to help me tape my leg together. Uh, and to see her on home soil, like doing her best with all this tape on her arm. Um, I was like, I'm so glad that we both showed up. Like I, that's harder, um, from where I'm standing. And so I was like doing this crazy thing, but also had a comrade, you know, like attempting a similar feat, like just trying to be brave because you don't get to be a two-time Olympian without going two times to the Olympics. And so I just showed up, but I maybe could have done better. And, um, I had a lot of people around me saying like, this is when miracles happen. And so as long as you like have that little bit of hope, it can be really good. Um, did you go in then mainly for the experience or were you hoping that you would be able to perform? You know, I think I, I hoped that I would be able to perform and I had, you know, family going already. People had tickets like Russ's uh, mom was going to go to the Olympics for the first time. And that was another layer is that he didn't make the team either. So my future husband's like we got engaged the next year. Um, this was like kind of his best shot at a team. And he'd been having a really good season and then got fifth at the trials and the discus. Um, and he'd been fifth at the trials in the shot put four years before. So like, he's a better athlete than I will ever be. Like he's incredible. But the devastation of that was like, just on a different level than I got to go still, I just had this injury. And so I had a lot of reasons to feel really lucky for just the opportunity, but you're still young enough and yeah, hopeful enough that like I had pipe dreams that I would perform too, but I was really proud of going. I just do think it like hindered my return to form after that because I had so much practice being scared um but a thing that really kept me going was in 2015 um so like three years after my surgery I threw 66 47 at a small meet in Texas in May like it was just this kind of early season um 
really great atmosphere, like small competition. There were like six women who I had like met kind of at the end of my college career. Like it was kind of close enough to when I had still been in college to, to know these like younger athletes. And so there was just this like really insular, cool, like early season experience when I felt really good. And it was like far enough away from my knee surgery to be kind of sick of being tentative and want to really put it all out there. Um, I wasn't wearing my knee brace anymore. And so I just like felt this just freedom. Like the results didn't really matter, but I knew how good my body felt. So my series, I had like four 63 plus meter throws and 6647. And it's only 20 centimeters less than the American record. Like I just was so overjoyed and proud of myself, like after surgery to like reach this distance um, on a day that was just like ideal weather, wonderful people oh, wow. around me, like, no, it was just like such a fun reward for three years of like struggle. And, uh, that experience really coming going for a while, but later that season, I had an incident with my left shoulder that a chiropractor adjusted me and tore my labrum. No. Yeah. And that was like, still feels like one of the most unfair things to ever happen to me because my 2015 season was going so well and was like so encouraging after five whole years not PRing. <laughs> um, and then to have this thing that just, like it didn't necessarily affect my throw, but affected training in a huge way. And I just oh. knew that I couldn't be who I wanted to be as an athlete with the injury. So um, got it repaired at the end of the season, but that's right before the Rio Olympics. And I just wasn't quite ready to be back in, um, yeah, so there are a lot of reasons to understand, you know, with hindsight, but also at the time, just like how moving through each little day, um, and gathering little victories, like was, I was really proud of those efforts. Um, but I knew that I was missing like the bigger picture, the bigger goal, the bigger kind of focal, focal point of my career. And I kept kind of getting knocked down to those daily victories for a lot of different reasons, um, for a really long time, but eventually with a better, like coaching system, more supportive, like scenario in 2019 and beyond, um, I was able to kind of pick my head up, but then I had similar things happen and yeah, I just, I, I have always been a process person and I was even more so molded into that by injury and yeah, just believed it would happen someday, but wasn't so wrapped up in it at a certain point. Cause I couldn't think it was like too, too far away from the PR. But I really love what you're saying here is that you basically got through it by focusing, like you didn't look too far ahead. You weren't, or you weren't looking at the, you know, just the distance you're focusing on the small, like the small daily victories, the small steps you're taking every day. And you kind of find that motivation in that instead of only looking at like, how far am I throwing? And if I'm not improving, like it's not worth it, you know? So you're exactly, you're still enjoying the process and that's why you're doing it. Yeah. But, and part, part of that too was what I said about community. Like I started going on training camps in 2013 and I've mostly trained by myself. Like I had a really great training partner right at the beginning of my professional career. Um, his name is Mike Hazel. He threw 84 meters. Like he just, I call him my big little brother. Cause he's <laughs> like, he, he's like six years older than me. And, uh, I just loved like having this kind of leader. He's so different than me. Like he's just like super energetic all the time. He was a DJ, like when we were training. And so there was like techno on our speakers, like at every practice and, um, I just, 
loved training with him at the outset of my professional career. And he's like been so supportive ever since. But from 2012 on, I've like mostly been alone. And that was like remote coaching for five years as well, four, four and a half. Um, So going on training camps, like being in the community was really important to me. And that was like one of my pieces of motivation for getting back. Um, In 2014, you know, Worlds had happened in 2013. I didn't make that team. It's the only team I ever missed because I was like coming back from ACL number one. And then in 2014, like I had lost my health insurance. Like I didn't like, I mean, paid for it otherwise, but through sport, like I hadn't competed well enough to like be funded in the same way. Um, So I just didn't really know what was going to happen. Like I hadn't faced that before, but every woman in the world of the javelin felt like they had a baby that year in 2014. <laughs> yes. It was like a joint effort. It's like, okay, girl, let's go. <laughs> so I just like happened to get back into diamond league beats. Like I had a PB that was good enough and I had, you know, this, there, there just weren't enough women in the world throwing the javelin far enough that I got this cool opportunity to get back on the world stage. And I always knew in injury that like, if I threw 60 meters, if I threw 61, like I could probably go to the competitions that I loved being at and like turn that into a training stint in Germany. Um, and like, just be in the world of javelin. Cause that's really what I loved. So on a really base level, like that was my motivation and it just kind of snowballed after that. Yeah. It's, it comes back to the process always, but I'm curious to know, and, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but if somebody would have come to you at the end of the 2010 season and told you, listen, you're not going to improve for another 12 years. You're, you're not going to have another PB until 12 years from now, but you will. Would you have kept going? Would you have been able to like, okay, I'm going to, you know, stick my head down and just work for 12 years before I get that reward again? Could you have done it? Ugh. I don't know. I don't think I could have imagined being 36. And like, since I was 24 at the time, 12 years was half my life. (laughs) (laughs) Like, how could I have conceptualized that? Um, And I don't think I ever expected to throw until 36. And I know like Catherine Mitchell made the world final this year at 41. Like Barbara competed last year at 41. Like I'm so amazed by our fellow javelin throwers. Yeah, they are amazing. Um, oh my gosh. But yeah, I couldn't have I couldn't have thought that out, especially with the injuries. Like I that was the wild, wild ride of 2022 is I really thought that I was done with ACL number two in 2020. Oh, okay. And like having kind of that devastation <laughs> was a big part of the perspective that I was able to gain in 2022. Like whatever happens, happens because I know how impactful both of these surgeries were to my body. Like I know how much they changed me. Um, and even my left shoulder like hurts sometimes, right? Like people overcome a lot more, but it was, it was just like a real reality check of like, why are you actually here? Why are you actually coming back? And if it's to perform at the highest level, like that's maybe not what you should hang your hat on. 
how can we make this like last couple seasons a true celebration of the whole experience? But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I cannot answer that question. <laughs> I want to say yes, because I did always love the community part of it, whether it was like training in Chula Vista with a bunch of Americans and being able to go back there and have the, the group scenario and just like have great teammates and, um, training partners and international competitors that were so wonderful all the time. But uh, I'd seen a little bit of that in 2010, but it definitely accelerated like after that point. So I didn't quite have all the information to to stick around for 12 years for a lot more reasons than PBs. Yeah, exactly. But you, you, you talk a lot about community and having training partners and people around you and that support system is clearly very important to you. And I get that. How was it then for you, especially when you were working with your, well, I don't know if he was your first coach, but the one you were with for so long, it was living across the country and you were training basically by yourself Mm -hmm. for a long time to, I mean, I went through this myself, so I know a little bit about how tough it can be when you're showing up, like you go to training alone, you're the only one there, you have the program and you just have to do it. You may be sending videos, but you're the only one there. You got no one to talk to necessarily, but maybe other people training just mm-hmm. between sets or, or whatever. Uh, did you ever think that was tough? Oh, yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite random training partners, um, I spent nine years training at the uh, U.S. Air Force Academy. So in Colorado Springs, um, it's like one of our, I think, four military academies in the U.S. So Air Force specifically, and they have like a beautiful, big indoor facility, indoor field house, giant curtain in the corner. Like it's one of the kind of best indoor throwing scenarios in the United States, which is cool. Nice. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I had like permission from the late head coach, may he rest in peace. He died a few years ago and was wonderful to Russ and I, um, like Russ thought maybe he would go to the Air Force Academy. And so he'd like been kind of around the, the culture for a long time. Uh, and we were just really lucky. Like a lot of times in the U S people just let you train at their colleges. Like you can do some volunteer assistant coaching, but there's like not a whole lot of actual responsibility that is, that comes with that. It's just like, you are good to have around to the, the program. Right. Yeah. Um, so that was really nice. And yet, like, I'm not a part of that community either. Like, I am not military. I don't have military in my family. Like, I'm not super familiar. So just kind of the culture of the physical place was, like, foreign as well. So Uh, um, there was, like, a little bit of weirdness there just for me. And maybe I was overthinking it. But I just I wanted to, like, contribute to the place that I was. And I didn't quite know how because I was just an outsider all the time. But one of my favorite training partners there, um, her name is Crystal, and she's a master's athlete. She's like 87 now, I wow. think. And she would like hide her little hurdles behind the, the net in the corner, and we would just like chat every day. And I, I really love that. So exactly like finding the people around you that are um, pursuing their own goals. Like it doesn't matter that you're on different scales or in different kind of levels of the sport. It was like just a really nice, I don't know, uh, just yeah connection with somebody that that understood the sport and had so many more years of experience than me um and then athletes from other sports at the training center which ended up being really like the olympic and paralympic training center and a lot of those athletes are paralympic athletes like i was surrounded by prosthetics all the time so i had like just this different perspective on sport everywhere i turned um and i really loved that about being at 
training centers, both Chula Vista and Colorado Springs for my entire career. So, you, um, But it, it was hard. Yeah. You kind of took advantage of, you know, the people around you and got to know them then and get a little community from them, even though they were not doing the same things. It's just a fellow human being chasing their goals at the same place. And we connect over that. Yeah, exactly. And like yeah. cheer for people that are, they're completing their lifts differently. Um, I just, I always tried to tap into that, but I definitely like 2017 was one of the hardest years of my career. Um, I went to Australia, uh, for a nitro athletics, like series of meets in January. Oh yeah, <laughs> And I, it was wild. And I like, I'd been to January or to, um, Australia that early for the domestic season once before, um, in 2012 actually. And it was a really great experience. Like Russ and I were there together. Uh, I did okay, especially for the time, um, coming off of that really difficult 2011 season. So 2017 to like start, just in this different way was really fun. And then when I got to the U S domestic season, I threw 6480, like in my first meet out. And that was like farther than I'd ever opened a season before. So I'm on cloud nine, like I'm super excited and I'm still, uh, with this coach and I had like done training trips to where he was coaching at the different universities and stuff like that. Um, but really did like, find it difficult to tap into technique alone. Like it just became very clear in 2017 that like I needed eyes on me at practice. Like I wasn't going to materially improve with these like months between instant feedback. Um, and kind of one of the blessings in disguise was that I could like talk to Russ about technique at night. Like I wasn't kind of getting as quick of communication as I would have liked, or I thought that I needed at the time from my coach. And so I would just talk to Russ about it. And he was still, or he had um, ended his career the year before. And so he was kind of more available. That was the other part that was difficult about 2017 too, is like he was gone. So he was one of my trading partners in Colorado Springs from oh, 2012 yeah, of course. to 2016. And then all of a sudden, like my husband's not there anymore. And I was really sad. Um, so that just kind of ended up with so much frustration. Like, I think it felt like that former coach. And I know that this isn't true now. And I could have demanded a lot more, you know, demanded is the wrong word, but asked for a lot more from him. Um, it felt like the the thing was done at 6480. Like, oh, we're fine. We're going to be fine for the rest of the year. Uh, okay. And it was April. And I like, I like just really struggled <laughs> to like, yeah, demand what I needed to really take advantage of the shape that I was in um, and felt really lost and definitely relied on my strength coach, who was my strength coach for my entire career, uh, which was really, really wonderful, too. So I had cool experiences communicating with the people who would eventually like lead me to greatness. But to have been with someone for so long and feel like there was just still something so missing from the communication part of our relationship. It was like very clear that I needed a change after that season. So it was good, but it was like the most stark example of like how difficult it is to be all by yourself. Yeah, it is. It's not easy, but how did it feel then when you started working with Dana and you had, you know, hands on, in training sessions, I mean, obviously, I followed you on, on social media. I saw the, you guys seem to have so much fun in training. So you're great mm -hmm. friends as well. 
Yes. And that timing was really cool because she had separated from the military. Like she was an Air Force Academy cadet when we met. So when I was in college, she's two years older than me. So I like always knew who she was because she won the NCAA national championship two years in a row, like my freshman and sophomore year. And she had gotten out of the military and taken the javelin coaching job at the Air Force Academy. So like, I'm already training there. <laughs> She's been my very good friend since 20, 2006. Um, why don't we work together? And it took me a couple of months of being like, hey, this would be really fun. <laughs> <laughs> but eventually you, you managed to convince yeah. her. And I definitely understand that now. I understood it at the time and I was very clear, like, this is absolutely your decision. But like, I really want to do it. So just know that like, I will meet you with enthusiasm and like, trust you. Like, I'm not going to ask you to coach me and then not listen to the thing you say. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> so I was really clear about that. Like, this is what it will look like to work with me. And I wasn't asking her to write programming. Like I had called um, Jamie Myers, my strength coach, and said, like, this is my idea. But I know that Dana is like entering this whole new world. Like, I don't want to ask too much of her, um, especially because she's my friend and I respect her time. And like, he's my friend too, you know? Um, so I was really clear that like, this is just technique. Like you, you don't have to feel all the pressure to like write every throw, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I just need you to show up and it doesn't even have to be every day. It'll be massively improve improving like my technique if you're there one day a week or once every two weeks like that's so much more feedback than I've ever gotten so um let's do this and she eventually agreed and it was it was a blast and immediately clear that it was the right choice so she wasn't she wasn't writing the program or setting up so he had oversight over like when you're lifting when you're jumping when you're doing what and when you're throwing and she just showed up for the technical like eyes on your technique Yes. And that kind of created space for um, a lot more friendship stuff, too. Like we would have dinner and talk about throwing and go to breakfast at competitions and talk about throwing or like talk about anything else. Like we just so easily wove from friendship to coach athlete. Um, and I think part of that was because it was just technique, like it was just these like the kicking around of ideas about how I, we could get like my six foot frame to do what her five foot two body had done. And I just, I loved it. It was so fun. And I told her, um, the travel aspect too, uh, you know, I had been sponsored through 2016 and that went away when I turned 30, basically. <laughs> <laughs> These guys don't know that javelin throwers are best after 30. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody understands. And then I had like other people show up, like smaller sponsors, Tracksmith and New York Athletic Club in really big ways at the end of my career, which was wonderful. Okay. Um, but I had kind of this time of self-sufficiency and I had like saved in ways that made that possible. But when Dana became my coach, like I was very much like, keeping my purse strings tight. Right. And yeah. not having to get another hotel room for a coach. Like we're like really good friends who can have like two queen beds in wherever we stay. Like she's a woman. Like it was just like really nice to eliminate a little bit of that expense. And I told her later 
she showed me what it was to travel and compete with a loved one. Like she really made it possible to work with Russ. Um, and I'm like super grateful for the time that we spent together. Cause like her, her impact on my technique, like made, um, coming back from my second ACL so much better than the first time. Uh, her just like, vulnerability and honesty, like in a lot of different things in life. Like we were both going through a lot of stuff, especially when I hurt my knee the second time and to do that together while traveling the world. And like, we went paddleboarding with Barbara in Prague the day that she got reallocated the day Googled medal. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it was so weird. Like we were going to meet to paddleboard and um, she sent me a message and she was like, I I'll be late. I just found out that I won day goo. And I was like, what does this, Oh my goodness. Like it was a really cool, like celebration experience. It's really, really fun. So, so funny um, to find out years later, like, Oh, I was apparently a world champion a few years ago, but that's uh, another topic to not yes. dive into. <laughs> Which turned her into a three time world champion, right? Like so yeah. fun. And I, um, yeah, just spending time with my friend doing the best that we could, like getting fifth in Doha was massive. Like it was, that was such a fun season. And for a lot of different reasons, like it taught, I think both of us about communication between coach and athlete. Um, I had tried a different grip and it didn't work. And I was like, Hey, I want to try this grip like early in the season. Um, but when it didn't work, it was on me to be like, this isn't working. Like I, you were right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to the original grip. And then my season like took off from there. So, um, there were just so many like friend and coach athlete things that were wonderful about working with Dana. It really sounds like you got that community aspect there. And I, I bet that gave you so much more than, you know, just having eyes on your technique, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And especially through um, COVID, right? Like through the oh, pandemic yeah. to train and like meet in parks and just like have a friend yeah. doing like continuing training because why not? Like nothing else is going on. <laughs> um, I I really enjoyed it. The, the continued like mission part of it and um, unfortunately competing once that season meant that I tore my ACL again, but, uh, all the training, all the practices, like in my backyard, like she had equipment that I could borrow. Um, it was just a, a neat, like, I think practice in being grounded to keep training in that time yeah. together. I think, th I think it's very impressive how you recognize what you need just as a person to feel good and how you also recognize that it affects, you know, your performance. And because it's so often that athletes just, you know, stick their head down and just do the work. You're maybe living somewhere where you're not happy. You're in a situation in your life where you're not, you know, in balance and you don't feel good. And then you think just because now I'm going to work really, really hard, then I'm going to perform. But we tend to forget that we're also people. Mm -hmm. And it's just like with anything, if you don't feel good for some reason, you're never going to be at your best, no matter what it is, if it's in sport or work, or, you know, family, whatever, you have to feel good. But I am curious to know if you ever did any kind of like mental training, did you work specifically on your mindset and what you did? Yes, but I wouldn't say that I really succeeded at that until 2022. Okay. Um, so 
And you're exactly right. Like when you feel good, when you can relax and just be confident no matter what, like that is absolutely when you do your best. And because I'm so good at like daily victory, putting my head kind of in the sand, I was different at competitions, like for most of my career, because like now it's time to perform, right? Like the, the mindset was different. Um, then the way that I could like connect with my PT, like while I was on the table and my, my physiotherapist, like, and laugh through the really difficult rehab moments. Like I, I was so good at the like training process part, but I never allowed myself to like see the bigger picture and imagine what that would be like, even if it was difficult through all of those like injuries and stuff for so, so, so many years, like I showed up and I exactly had done the work. So of course the results are going to follow, but I'm like too pent up to, to figure that out. And really, um, 2019 is what like started to show me what enjoying competition could be because, uh, the Pan American games, I, had changed my grip, like I said, and then I changed it back and I didn't change it back until like a practice before the Pan Am games. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) So I had like, like my arm, my forearm was really sore because just that one tiny difference in like which finger is holding on to the end of the grip. Like I was doing the American grip for most of the season with my first finger on the end of the javelin um, and then switched back to the European grip, like my middle finger. So I had one throwing session with the European grip and it just that tiny difference, like all my forearm muscles were like, what are you doing? (laughs) So it can be so hard to relax. And I, um, I, I had really given up control for that reason. Like I was like, I don't feel good. Like it's cold. Um, we had to wear super small spikes like on the runway because it's, more important to protect the runway than the throwers in some scenarios. <laughs> yes. Shaking your head. Yeah. yeah so don't even get me started on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to like give up control in so many ways. And then I had like one of the best series of my life because I was just like, all I can focus on is the technique. And like Ari, my very good friend, Ariana Ince is like in this field and like, let's see what happens. Um, so, I had these like little moments that I eventually was like forced to focus on because I was finally performing like I should at international competitions. And Dana was like a huge part of that. Um, The Diamond League final in 2018, I got third and like similar stuff. Like she's just there with me. So supportive in Zurich in 2018. She was like in the first row um, behind the javelin runway coaching, but she's so small that I had trouble finding her like every throw. Like I would turn around and be like, where? So all the fans in the stands were like, she's right here. Like they would like point to her (laughs) so I could find my coach. And there were just like so many in the midst of competition, finally really fun moments that I was like, this is how I'm supposed to feel um, at competitions. So I think Dana was like, really the first part of that. Um, as far as mental training, but I got to ask you before we carry on with that, did you connect it? Did you realize at the time that I was like, okay, when I kind of let go of like, Oh no, I have to be super focused because I, I want to throw far and you just relax and you have fun and you enjoy it. That's when you perform better. Did you connect it at the time? Or is it like hindsight? Oh, okay. That's great. I absolutely did. Um, Because it was so different from my former coach, like never being there. Like Russ, Russ had come and I remember like training or warming up around you and um, Terry in 2016. Uh, 
Yeah, in Rio, because Russ came to be my coach, like neither my strength coach or um, my technique coach at the time were able to come and Zika virus is like the reason and I understood that and all that stuff. But um, that was my best Olympics, right? Yeah. And like, I'm training around my friend or warming up around my friend. Uh, My husband is there to be my coach. And I just was like so much more relaxed than I had ever been at an Olympics. And so I very much like meditated on that for a while. Um, And then with Dana, like it was just such a stark difference from being by myself at competitions, like all the time that I immediately understood that she was like the difference. And that was the the goal too, right? Like to enjoy the experience with my friends. Like I loved working with Jamie. Um, his wife was my matron of honor. Like Jamie drove me to my wedding. Like they're my family. So I was like, well, why wouldn't I work with my friend Dana? It yeah. would be the same thing. Like this would be really fun. So I definitely made the connection at the time. And I think for my age experience, like, et cetera, et cetera. Like I was even more surprised by the benefit of that than I expected to be. But yeah, that that's yeah. something that took me an embarrassingly long time to learn as well. And I'm always trying to convey to especially younger athletes because I did not grasp that and, and not kind of fully believe it, I guess. It's something you hear and you're like, yeah, yeah, but I still need to throw far. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. you're going to do both. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can, I can yeah. do everything. <laughs> but tell me, what did you do for mental training? So I had multiple like throughout my career kind of moments of trying to work with sports psychologists. So uh, in college was kind of the first time. And the only season I ever missed was 2007. I had a, a really bad back injury in college. Um, so spent six months in like this plastic brace from rib cage to hips. Like that was kind of the start of my career. Right. And it's the year before Beijing. So like my audacity to be like, I'm going to make the Olympic team anyway <laughs> was wild. Yeah. I remember you told me about this when I had the stress fracture in my back and it was like, you know, going through, what did you do? How did, did you get through it? It gave me a lot of motivation. It's like, okay, yeah, you can come back from that. That was kind of cool. <laughs> but I sorry. That. Sorry. Goldie, Goldie also had similar like issues and yeah, to be a resource for competitors. It's my favorite. Um, so like at that time I was like, how will I come back from this? Blah, blah, blah. Like talked to our school sports psychologist a little bit, but didn't really have any like action items from it. Um, when I tore my ACL in 2012, I called uh, Wendy Borlabi my emergency sports psychologist. <laughs> emergency because I like I tore my ACL and I'm going to the Olympics like what the heck do I do like how do I manage this and she was in London um a really cool like real life thing is she was pregnant at the time and it was like high risk and she was uh going through just a lot of like physical difficulty and like uncontrollable feelings and all that stuff I haven't had a baby but I've had two and I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So for her to kind of share her own like uncertainty and like real life stuff with me was super helpful because she would have like horrendous morning sickness and be like, the only way that I get through it is to like call a friend. And so when I was going through the really hard, like pain stuff of after surgery, like getting range of motion back, 
um, I'd tell her like, I don't know how to relax. Like when I'm doing these like little exercises every day and like the fear of like doing them three times a day, like I know how bad it's going to hurt every time. Like, how do I do this? (laughs) And she was like, call your mom, call a friend, like talk to somebody like while you're doing that. And it very much spoke to, um, the way that I approached community and like every other part of Javelin too. Uh, and she really like she I worked with her through 2015. So like the the return that I had to 6667 dealing with um, confronting that medical practitioner that had hurt my shoulder, like she was so good for me about when I called this person, she was like, don't you don't you need to not expect an apology like you need to not expect this person to accept, like, to make you feel better. Like you have to feel better on your own. And if it helps you to have the conversation, sure. But like, you need to understand that, like, you're probably going to be the one dealing with it. And the end, you know? Yeah. It's your responsibility, your feelings, like you need to work through them. Right. Like forgiveness is for you kind of thing. And that was super helpful. And I was really glad that I was like brave enough to make the call and have the conversation um, when exactly what she said would happen happened. Uh, so a lot of like Wendy's impact on my life was like more than Javelin, which was really cool. Um, but then performance wise and just kind of change in both of our lives. Like we stopped working together after a while and it wasn't anything major. It was just like Peter out and I like been to see her family and all that stuff. It's really fun. Um, and then the kind of like last sports psychologist moment that I had was right before Olympic trials in 2021. So I tore my ACL August 1st, 2020, had surgery the 29th, I think, 27th. Um, And then it was 11 months to Tokyo. Uh, And I had thrown the standard in 2019, which was wild, like the delay of the qualification period. but had also committed, like I started a full-time job that fall. I had committed to coaching an athlete at the Air Force Academy's prep school, like a kind of interim between high school and the Air Force Academy. Um, I was doing USA track and field, like athlete advisory stuff. Like I was on the board of our national governing body and doing lots of like fellow athlete service things. Um, and then I forgot, (laughs) oh my gosh. And I had like forgotten how much time it took to be injured. Yeah. (laughs) So I'd been healthy for four years and then I had just like daily rehab daily, like trying to put my body back together for the Olympics plus full-time job coaching and like service. Oh my God. Did you have 30 hours in the day? How did you? It was crazy. I spent like $1,400 on burritos that year. (laughs) (laughs) That tells it all. That tells everything you need to know. Just between, like, I was in my car all the time and I took so many calls, um, like work calls while cooling down from practice or while warming up from practice, like my camera would be off and I'd just be like listening, um, in the car. Like it was, it was a wild ride. I got a whoop for the first time and I like, it told me all the time, like, you're tired, you're tired, <laughs> go to bed. And I'm like, I can't, I don't have any time. And so I took this whoop off because I was like, this is way too stressful <laughs> to have this feedback from a machine. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, so this right machine is trials- telling me to relax all the time. <laughs> I just, I'm not going to relax. I'm going to take it off. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell me what to do. It was awful. Um, and right before trials, like I was just so wound up and so stressed. And so like, 
I just felt like I had no control over my life. And the only thing I really knew how to do was rehab, which was really wild. Um, so like my recovery was absolutely miraculous. I made this like wonderful new friend in my physical therapist, Kelsey Whitman, um, to have that person every day, like still in COVID, like the training center, um, closed that year again, like in the winter of 2020, 2021, like nobody was allowed to go except people that were actively doing rehab. Like, so there were just all these extra ramifications of the pandemic and all this stuff that really helped me focus in on like who was, there with me every day. And that was kind of a saving grace, but, um, was still just like super struggling before Olympic trials and, um, just needed one session with a sports psychologist that I had talked to on like teams a couple different times before, um, to tell me like, yeah, these feelings are valid. Like the end, like that's truly what I needed out of this, like one session that made me feel better to like accelerate into the Olympic trials. Um, and from there, which like, I don't know if you want 2022 to be kind of its own thing. I went to therapy like before 2022. So as in not a sports psychologist, but like proper therapy, just yes. working out some, some stuff for you. Yeah. It, it really yeah. sounds like what you needed the most is it, it always comes back to it. Like you needed connection with people and conversation and talk through things and having someone to share it with. And that's. Yes was like your way of, you know, being your best self, it sounds like. Yes. And I like, I consider myself to be an introvert. Like I want to have these like really difficult, intense, like <laughs> very well-connected conversations. And if it's like surface level, like it interests me less. Right. And I think that's the really cool thing about Javelin is like, it's so weird. <laughs> it's so, it's so unique, like that you only get that like really interesting, deep level, like connection with somebody who understands it too. And, um, that's true of sports psychologists. That's true of physical therapists, like, especially at the Olympic and Paralympic training centers in the United States. Um, and anyone that's like specific to, you know, globally, anyone that's specific to weird sport, like unilateral sport, unbalanced sport, unhinged sport, <laughs> like the understanding that like your body works differently than like a quote unquote athlete. Like you're not necessarily looking for balance between both of your legs. Like you have to get medical, um, or like physical, hypertrophy and circumference back, like when you're coming back from injury, but your left leg does something different than your right leg. And having people that understand that to help you through like the recovery process was just like such an extra layer of, um, connection and understanding and relationship that I absolutely loved every time I was going through that process. And your coach is the same, your strength coach is the same, like you're so specialized that, um, it's neat to communicate with people on that level. But did you do anything else? Like, did you get any techniques, any tangible things that you would do and like practice on your own? Or was it just the conversation that you needed just to kind of get all your feelings out and all that? Or um, I had a lot of experience as a kid in sport being super coachable, yeah. like needing to be agreeable and uh the person that would just do the work and get the job done. The good um, like girl. That was, yes. Like that was always my role as a kid in sport. Mm-hmm. And I took that directly into javelin. So like even 
and this is no one's fault, right? Like, but it took me a long time to understand that I had deferred in a lot of ways, like two coaches rather than listening to myself and what really, and I tried to do both, but I had like some experiences that told me that it was still correct to, to be coachable rather than opinionated. Yeah. Um, over many, many years. And, um, I don't fault anybody for like being the strong coaching voice that they were like, that is also correct. Right. But like, I learned really early that that was right. Like that the coach was right. And that Mm. I should listen to the coach in the end. So a really cool thing about 2022, um, is that like being coached by my husband (laughs) meant I was more brave about talking back than I had ever been with anyone else. And again, (laughs) it's not their fault. It's like a thing I didn't even understand about myself until I had the freedom to like state my opinion to him and like talk about it maybe at practice, but maybe also when we got home, like we just had all of this really healthy like discourse that I had never had in my javelin career. And that kind of translated to, like I mentioned that with Dana, even having her there once a week or once a month would have been more than I had ever had for five years. Yeah, It was the same with Russ because he has other jobs. So like I had a lot of solo sessions in 2022 that I wasn't prepared for before Dana was my coach. No. Like I had trained by myself, but then I had trained with her for so for four years, four plus years. Um, and very much like soaked up the individual like alone experiences I didn't listen to music even oh wow all of 2022 like I just had this like really intense like I want to hear my own thoughts I want to like like the experience of not having to verbalize what you feel in technique and just like being really honest with yourself about like like what what was that how do I do it again without having to explain it to someone else? Like just like pick up another javelin and do it and like feel it. And then later be able to describe it to coach, um, to Russ was really, really magical. So I think like the thing that I finally did for myself was connect with myself and like actually trust what, um, what I was feeling more than what I thought I needed to describe to somebody. This is very interesting because this, uh, this is something that, I think a lot of people maybe forget sometimes is to actually be in this kind of contact with themselves during a session and really think about it. I had a problem as well, like verbalizing how I felt right away. I needed to process it. And if you are not focused, like you have maybe a lot of people or listening to music, then you maybe don't give yourself that space to really take it in at the time so I can see how that helped you as well you're basically more in tune with your thoughts yes and the therapy was like a big part of that like how do I really own I've like made these decisions to work with my husband for this to be my last season like how do I enjoy each and every moment this season yeah And like, I don't know that I would have been able to do that for my entire 13 year international career, right? Like, (laughs) that's a lot of quiet time. (laughs) 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 So I like, I don't have regrets about working with other people. Like I, I know that everything happened like when it was supposed to happen, but I loved 
all of my training sessions like by myself in the quiet or with Russ in the quiet in 2022. Like it was just, it was such a cool um, relationship experience with him and with myself. Cause like, sometimes that's interchangeable. Like, I don't know if you feel that way with your husband, but like, um, he is me and I am him. And I know that that's like a lot of, uh, wishy-washy, whatever, but like <laughs> he's, he's the constant in my career. Like I, we started dating in 2006. Like he has been with me or we met in 2006, um, longer than absolutely anybody that has seen me throw the javelin. And so that was like everything wrapped up in, uh, you know, besides my parents, but, um, that was a huge part of like why I was able to communicate with him so well. Cause I could reference stuff from 2015 and we made the world team together that year and like, just have kind of this very cool multi-layer relationship. Like, and again, Dana showed me what it was to travel with a loved one, to train with a loved one, to be like on the road with somebody that was so important to me. And it was such a blast the whole time, but um, yeah, protecting my own energy, and being really honest with myself about what I needed um, and sticking to that. Cause like, I'm good at telling people what I need from a coaching perspective, or like I am good at communicating about technique, but I did a lot of like being at dinner for a long time or uh, staying in a conversation with someone I didn't know at a competition just because it felt like the right thing to do when like, I, I want to go to bed. No. <laughs> you know? no. So in 2022, I was like very conscious of like, nice to meet you. Goodbye. Like I just, I was not rude. I wasn't, um, a diva in any way, but I just like did a better job of protecting myself. Yeah. Um, and that came from like, learning to finally listen to myself at practice. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not rude to set boundaries for what you right. need. I mean, nobody has the right to, you know, stay up all night in a conversation. It's like, it's fun to have a conversation. But when you feel like, okay, now I need to go to bed, I need to protect my energy. That's not rude. Right. Especially when you, <laughs> when you do it in a nice way, you know. Right. Now, right. but did you ever do any like visualization? Or did you journal about how you felt? Or did you just kind of sit with it? I just sat with it. Um, 2021, like I had absolutely no time to journal. So I had gotten out of the habit. Like I'd done a really good job with it kind of upped for a lot of my Dana years um, to that point. But then I just, I just couldn't, like I had no time. Uh, so yeah, I had just like a built in feedback loop at my house with my mm. husband and I could, we could talk about it. And we talked about it all the time. And it was really fun because um, I was like, this is the only year that we're going to do this. Like, I let's go all in. Let's have a great time. And uh, yeah, it was really nice to like be at practice because I threw that year um, because I no longer worked with Dana. I didn't go to the Air Force Academy anymore. And there's a facility an hour down the road yeah. south. Yeah. So that's where I threw at um, Colorado State University Pueblo, and it's lower elevation. Oh. It's usually warmer, <laughs> and it's like this. Just I didn't necessarily have time for that. Like I was still working full time, but my my company, um, the company that I worked for, was like wonderful about understanding. Like I'm a, and I'm, a, I'm an athlete. They um, support athletes. Like so, of course, you have this time to train when you need it. 
but the separation of like my day to drive an hour and warm up and like get ready to throw and then throw and then drive back. Um, whether I was with Russ or by myself was really wonderful to like have just this space to like decompress from work, train, and then think about training on the way home. Yeah. Like I often wasn't listening to music in the car either. Like I was just like in my own head, which was cool. Yeah, I yeah. think it's I think it's really cool. And, and like you said, I mean, about sitting, not having music and sitting with your thoughts and training is maybe not something you do every training all the time for, you know, 20 years. But right. I think it's important to do every now and then, especially maybe with technical sessions when you yeah. really need to focus when it's important. But, oh, my God, I, there are so many things I want to talk about. And I just feel like, you know, <laughs> we could sit here for three hours, but we have to get to the fairy tale ending of your career. And I I want you to kind of tell it uh, briefly in your own words so we don't stay here for three hours. But you got to tell us what happened in 2022, your final season. Oh, my gosh. Well, it started in 2021 in Tokyo. Um, I was 11 months post-op. I didn't make the final. I <clears throat> was 15th, I think, overall, which um, that year, you know, could have made the final, like, easily. Like, physically, I was ready. Mentally, from the injury, I was not. And I had performed better. Like, every other competition I had would have made the final, even in my recovery from surgery. So, but still um, 15th in the Olympics, 11 months out of ACL tear is super impressive. I know, I know we always want more. And like you said, you were ready for more, but still we gotta give credit where credit is due. And that's impressive. Well, thank you. (laughs) Um, but it was the same feelings of qualifying, right? Like desperation. Like I just, I had no indication of how to relax. Like I'd done it in Doha, but I just felt like I returned to my old self, like in that qualifying in particular, and just was like not able to kind of lift my head up and relax. And so, um, just as devastating as any other time, not making the final, but I had been elected team captain by the women of track and field. And like, it doesn't really mean anything, right? Like it's kind of an arbitrary title, but like, it's a peer election. Like, it's like all these women saying, like, Kara, you represent us. And that meant so much to me. So I already had this, like, really cool um, acceptance story. And yeah. that's what I said to, like, the the one person that stopped me to talk in the mix zone is, like, maybe my role has always been to support other people, like, at the Olympic Games. And I'm devastated, but I'm also so proud of, like, of that. Like, I just, yeah. I'm going to come back and watch my friends. Like, I'm, this is really cool. Um, and I sat in the stands and I told Jamie, I know that maybe this is me uh, waking up from surgery and buying a house. But if this is how I'm going to feel in 2022, I don't want to do it. No. Like, I know how this feels. It sucks every time I'm like, I know, I know this feeling, like if this is the feeling that I will have in a year, I want to be done right now. And I'm like laughing through it. Cause I'm like, I know I'm being rash. Like I know this emotion is so raw. Um, but this year was so hard. And I thought that I like more than ever deserved to be in an Olympic final. Um, and that's not true. Like nobody deserves it more than anyone else. But like, <laughs> I just was so, so upset. Um, but like literally that day, 
I found out that I was on the flag bearer ballot for Team USA. Okay. Like that afternoon. And like for the United States, like that's a peer vote as well. And so like my entire career is like all about connection with these other people. And through like two rounds of voting after that, everybody on Team USA, after being a training center athlete and being around like Team USA peers for 13 years, voted me flag bearer for the team. And I like... I had so much imposter syndrome because I'm a non-medalist. Like I'm a four, four, I was the only four or five time like American Olympian to not be a medalist. And I'd never made the final. And like, yet these hundreds of people that I've been around for my entire career, like said, Kara, you matter, you represent us. Like yeah. we want you to carry the flag. Um, so having that experience like propel me into 2022 is just like nothing else could ever top that feeling of like base level acceptance by everybody that I had always admired and looked up to. Um, and it really like encouraged me to make the decisions that I needed to, to get what I wanted out of 2022, which was, um, fun. Yeah. (laughs) Like 2021 had been so hard that like, I was like, I, I'm done now. Like nothing else matters. This was so cool in such an unexpected way. Um, and it was like the biggest gift of my life. Like I, I cannot top it ever. And that's totally okay. Like it was the honor of my absolute lifetime. Um, so going home, like having the really difficult conversation with Dana to say like, thank you so much. You didn't do anything wrong. Like I, this is not, it's not about you necessarily. Like, I love you. I'm so proud of us, but I need to spend this last year with Russ. And he had come to the same conclusion, like totally separately, which was really, really cool. Like to stand in our kitchen. Seriously, and be like, you guys. Oh, I just Because <laughs> <laughs> I'd said for a long time that I wanted Eugene to be my last world championships. And yeah. when that felt in such jeopardy after my second ACL tear, like I can't believe like, that was the attitude that I went into 2022 with. Like I made the Olympic team. I'm so amazed that like I'm in shape and I get to go into this final season with like some hope of performance. Like I had to throw the standard at us trials, you know, for Eugene world championships. Like I had a lot of like really cool moments through 2022 and I am not being short winded about this. So I apologize, but (laughs) it's um, okay. (laughs) But like, the, the gift of Tokyo in the most unexpected way, like just showed me that sport is about so much more than sport in a way that I like thought I understood, but was just like, so blown away by. So yes, thank fully you. Making, yes. <laughs> thank you for emphasizing <laughs> this. <laughs> Sorry. No worries. But like that just extended to like, yeah, spending, I missed rest. Like we'd been athletes together for a long time. And like I said, he was one of my training partners till he was done. And so I hadn't like gotten to spend track time with him since 2016. And I just wanted to like have this victory lap. Um, kind of the other thing is that Maggie Malone broke my first American record in 2021. So a, from a mental standpoint, like 2010, I did not have Instagram yet. Like I got my Instagram in 2012, right? Social media was like very, yeah. Social media was very different in the early part of our careers than it ended up being at the end. And like, 
to, I'm really grateful to like be in this generation of people because I don't know. It feels like there's more separation, and that's maybe not true. I'm speculating, but oh yeah, it's a whole another conversation. But I I agree with you. <laughs> maybe we're just old, but I certainly agree. <laughs> like I'm happy to have grown up without it, etc. But like the social media reaction to my 2010 American record was non-existent, right? Like it just didn't exist. There was some Facebook, like there maybe was Twitter. I think there was Twitter. I got it in 2009. But when Maggie broke my record, I was tagged in every single one of those posts. Right. And like, as I should be like Maggie broke Kara's record, like totally fine. But like, it's such a positive thing for the sport for the event, yeah. it felt really negative, especially as I was recovering from my second ACL. Right? Yeah, I, I was going to say, I mean, under normal circumstances, and of course, competition is good. Competition lifts everybody up. But it's a when you're coming back from an injury, and, and not a small one, it a potentially career-ending injury, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a little like kicking you when you're down. Yeah, <laughs> it, can, yeah. it can be perceived like that. Right. And, um, and again, and I was there when she broke the record the first time, cause she broke it twice, which was actually really cool for me to understand. Cause I never did that. Right. Like I had not done that yet. And so it was just this exclamation point on her very cool 2021 season for her to like do it twice and really just confirm that she was like the powerhouse. Um, but I was in Chula Vista when she broke it the first time, when she threw 66, 81, so I like watched it get broken. Like, I was physically there. <laughs> and I walked up to her after the competition, like I'm waiting for it to be over. I gave her a big hug and she said, I'm sorry. And I was like, Maggie, no, <laughs> this is a 10 year old record. Like I understand the sentiment. Thank you. But like, no, I'm really happy at this past time um, that this occurred. But the weight that was lifted in some ways by that happening too, like it was hard in the moment, but like I had been so aware that I wasn't breaking my own American record for 10 years. And I think that was like, maybe part of why I didn't PR for so long is that like, I felt the weight of like, now this is the American record by PR. It was someone else's when I broke it. Like I just, I had weird like feelings of this. I was the standard of the U S in throwing. And so I'm like really just competing with myself and I, I'm already doing a pretty good job, but like, how do I surmount myself? Like I, it was just like a weird mental thing for me. And so for that to be removed, I think was actually super helpful. Yeah. Going into 2022. Yeah. Sorry. Coffee. I just spilled it everywhere. I'm (laughs) so excited to talk about 2022. Oh my gosh. Okay. So that is like all of the context of going into 2022. And accolades wise, um, I'll get to that. But like, I just, I loved it. I started the season um, with 63.29. My first like four meets were over 63 meters. And I had like multiple 63 meter attempts, like in all of those series, um, <clears throat> which was wild and like blowing my mind. But the world standard was 64. So I still had these like feelings of like, I'm doing great. Like, I'm so happy with this season already. I wanted to compete as much as possible because I just like there were certain competitions that I hadn't been to um, either ever or in a really long time that I wanted to get to. And one of those was Mount Sac Relays, um, which is like collegiate American, like 
big deal and the venue is really pretty and I just wanted to go. And so it was really early in the season, like earlier than I might compete in the past. Um, but why not? Like, let me throw myself into shape in a lot of ways. And it wasn't until U.S. trials or U.S. championships, which is like our qualifying meet for Worlds, that I threw 64 meters. And I struggled in that competition. Like I was like, I've never been in a position where I have to throw the standard and I maybe would have made the team on rankings also. But I was so tight. I was so nervous. I had just like all these same feelings of like, I have to do it right now. It's super important and I'm stressed about it. And it wasn't going well. And I was like in the top eight in the final, but I think I was like fourth or something. <clears throat> and I just like looked around the stadium and it's this like beautiful new venue. I had done well in 2021, but like Hayward field, like Eugene is where I tore my ACL for the first time. Hmm. I like won Prefontaine in 2010 and set the stadium record, um, at the time, like 6590. And then Christina Oberkvold broke it in 2013 when I was like home after my first knee surgery. Like I just had all <laughs> of these like wild experiences at Hayward Field. I made all four of my Olympic teams like in that venue, but I loved that it was like this brand new facility because it kind of like set, reset all of those experiences and like, let me be a new person like on this runway. Um, but I just looked around the stadium and I like sneaked into the lead on throw number five, like 60, 48 or something like that. Um, so I was like winning on my last throw and I hadn't won a national championship since 2018. So it had been four years and like that was a lot of my identity for a lot of years, like U.S. national champion. And I eventually like understood that it's a qualifying meet and I shouldn't put as much weight on it. But it meant a lot to me that like on my last throw, I'm national champion again for the ninth time. Like yeah, that imagine. is such such a beautiful like thing, um, to be in my last season and be in this position. And so I finally was like, had already figured out like the gratitude part a little bit, but it was so amplified by the freedom of already winning, um, that I threw 64 29 on my last throw yeah. to throw the standard. And like all my friends, like all my competitors, like rushed to me and gave me this hug. And it was like such a cool experience. So I'm on the world team. Um, and I had the same feelings, like, let me just have a great time. Uh, Russ had driven our dog out to Olympic trials the year before <laughs> so that I could just like have her to sleep with, you know, like she's, she's a bed dog and it's normal. And I, I was like, so I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Exactly. And so he drove her out to world championships too. So I could just like walk her in the morning, like have just like normal life at my last world, like in, um, a place that's two hours from my hometown. Like so many people from my life, like were in the stadium. Um, and I just like, for the first time was so confident in qualifying, like to be on home soil, to have imagined it for so long. Um, I knew that I had this and for my last experience on that runway to have been the sixth round standard, um, was super cool. Yeah. In the interim, I also went to a competition where I showed up and it was like the same venue that Maggie had thrown 67 at the year before. I'd never been to this meet before, but it's like our kind of uh, jav carnival or whatever. 
and I showed up. And so it's all these people, it's only Javelin, um, all these people who understand the event, like who are so excited to just see Javelin throwers. And so many people that day was said to me, Kara, are you going to break the American record today? Okay. And I, <laughs> no I pressure. Like, I wasn't thinking about it, but now I am. And I was so tight and I tried so hard all six of those throws. Like I just like rocketed down the runway had no rhythm at all like was not at all relaxed because they put that idea in my head and so all of a sudden I'm focused on outcome again um and it was awful but it was like the one meet that I had between USA's and world championships and so it was just this absolute stark example of like you cannot focus on the number (laughs) I love this like can we just put this out can we emphasize this even more like seriously you've shown this over and over again this is so counterintuitive to a lot of people it's like if you focus on the result you're not going to get it but if you relax and have fun that's when you get the result it's just it shows up over and over and over again I just I had to (laughs) emphasize that for everybody who's listening just have fun (laughs) yeah and I like put it on my social media because I was like I this this support was so overwhelming. Like for people to say that to me, was super cool. And I wasn't ready for it. Like I did not handle it well because it felt like it had been so long with injury and, um, you know, someone else so rightfully like getting the American women's javelin attention, like the year before, like, I was just like, I felt like an underdog. And all of a sudden people were like, Kara <laughs> again. So I wasn't ready and I like didn't handle it well, but I was able to like recognize that before going to Eugene and going to world championships. So, so this was an important meet for you. It's important to see this black and white. It's like, if I fall back on this, it doesn't work. Right. And at that meet, um, Avion Allgood won, she threw 62.40 and Ari had like four throws over 61.30. So like for the first time, in American women's javelin history, there were two women over over 200 feet, over 6097, who were not me, like two American women in the same competition. Wow. Like I had always been part of like that scenario. And it was, I was really upset with myself because I didn't throw 200 feet. Um, and it would have been only the second time ever that three women were over 200 feet, three Americans but I didn't follow through. So like, it was really cool to like be this person that had been there for so long and see two women that I respect so much, like holding their own. Like I, that I wanted to be more of a part of it. Like that (laughs) was the most frustrating, but anyway, so go to Eugene, so confident in qualifying. Like my life is normal. We like played cards with my parents between qualifying and finals days. Like, um, I just like having my sixth round from USA is be my last experience there and being so reminded of like the relaxation part of what I'm doing. Um, I had watched like my first world team was 2009. Steffi Nerius of Germany had like been so close or she'd meddled like so many times at so many different worlds and Olympics. And she had announced her retirement that year. Yeah. I remember this. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And so I'm like watching the final. I'm in the stands. Obviously I'm not in the finals competition. Um, but on her first throw, she throws like 67 plus, like it wasn't her PB, but it was like solid to start this competition and it lasted and she won on home soil, like in her last worlds. And then she sucked her guns and she retired. Um, and that was like always my dream. And that's a reason that I wanted to retire in Eugene in 2022. So like, this is for the first time, the only experience that I've ever had, like meditating on 
the end goal, like the, the final result, like mm. the, the thing, the big picture rather than the little daily victories. And I had just spent my entire career being so motivated by that experience that that's who I became. And I always wanted to, like, as soon as Eugene was announced the world championship venue, I was like, oh my gosh, I could be Steffi Darius. <laughs> that would be so cool. <laughs> so on my sixth throw, like I, again, like was too tight in the final, like I, my first throw, I think was 56 meters. Like I was just like, so like able to catch myself and be like, Hey, stop it. Like enjoy this experience because it's your last one. Um, get the crowd involved, et cetera, et cetera. When Haruka passed me um, and Mackenzie to move into second in the last round, she was like right before me in the order. As a young athlete, I had had so many experiences where like that helped me, like in my 2010 season, especially like there were a lot of times where someone would pass me and I would just be like, like immediately like competitive, um, but relaxed. And I felt exactly that, like before I got on the runway for my last throw, Oh wow! then nothing else was happening in the stadium. Like the 400 was about to start, but the pole vault had just ended, um, the qualifying round and like no, nothing else was occurring, but Sydney McLaughlin was going to run that night too. So it was absolutely packed. Oh wow! And the entire stadium, like clapping for me on that last throw like I just was smiling my face off and 6405 to move into silver um in the last round but to like know that people could pass me after that too there were like two more people that could have moved ahead um because I was in fifth at the time like fourth going into the last round was like stressful but also like whatever happens happens I just did what I wanted to do in this moment and um that's really cool yeah so it's a little I like finally meddled. yeah it's like I I gave it my all and I did great and you know you can't control what other people do so it's like I delivered you could at least always be content with that you delivered in that moment yeah and I love that so Thank you. So yeah, silver medal on home soil. Like it was the longest victory lap in history. Um, like <laughs> Kelsey and Haruka, like they were like in this under the stadium waiting for the podium. And I took like 15 more minutes. Like I was not sorry at all. Um, and that very much opened the door for other competitions. Like it was still um, the year before I hadn't gotten into meets for the first time ever. Like I went to Europe after Tokyo and I wasn't accepted into competitions because I like, I did miraculous things for recovering from surgery, but compared to the rest of the world, I wasn't good enough yet. And so, um, I think, and based on like what my managers kind of said, um, like Stina Funke, she texted me and she said, you've opened the door for yourself. Like, where do you want to go? So I got to go to the Diamond League meets. I got to take Russ to Europe, like be just this traveling couple that I had envisioned at the beginning of the season. And um, the fact that that actually happened was like the gift that I needed to like relax. And I, I did struggle again to like be relaxed and um let the results come in the first couple of meets after worlds, but then went to the Bahamas. Like some of the pictures that I sent you were the morning of competition. Like Ari and I went jet skiing as a shakeout. I love that picture of you guys <laughs> just bumping <laughs> into the ocean. Uh, yes. Like that was the day of competition. Like it was only a 30 minute jet ski. Like we got to like take rides to the beach. Like it was like, I don't know, responsible, but so fun. And, um, I threw a season's best there. And then going back to Europe for my last like three meets of the year, uh, 
was just like, I finally knew that the end was in sight. And even though I'd had good results, like I still had a level of fear about my knee, um, that only let me throw 64 meters. Right. And I'm so amazed by that, that my body could do like the 64 or 63 meter level, like consistently after two ACL surgeries at 36 years old. Um, but having such limited experiences, like limited attempts left finally removed this, like this tension, this like, um, holding back feeling of like knowing that a block was going to hurt. Cause it did almost every time. Um, and in Brussels, like Brussels could have been my last competition. It was like the penultimate meet to the final. Um, I was so conscious of like, don't be a jerk today. (laughs) (laughs) If this is my last meet ever, if I don't qualify for Zurich, cause I, I wasn't qualified. I want to remember this day as like fun with my husband and we like went on a walk and we did all the things. Um, and I was already leading the competition in the sixth round, um, and just had like a couple different technical pieces of input that I hadn't quite like executed on and had this revelation about like my upper back position. Um, and I didn't know that this throw was 68, 11. I thought it was like 66 low. And I was thrilled about that too, because it had been so long, right? Like I was like, if I get to 66, like that'll be really cool. Um, but I in no world would have ever expected to throw 6811. And yeah, to win Brussels with my first PB in 12 years, I was like halfway back to Russ before I realized that it was an American record. Like it wasn't about the American record. It was like, I was like standing at the front of the runway watching the reader board. And when I saw an eight, I lost my mind. Oh my God. You know, I don't think you understand speaking of community and how much you have impacted people. I don't think you understand how much all of the javelin girls were rooting for you. I mean, I was at home. I retired two years before I was watching and you like I was crying my eyes out after that throw and I was like screaming at my husband. I'm like, she did it. She, she took the silver at the world's and home soil. And now she's breaking the record. She's doing everything she wanted to do before she retires. It's just, I was so excited for you. And it's just, thank you. I mean, obviously like we were competing, you know, against each other for such a long time I got to know you and I'm I'm proud to call you my friend but I I was following your journey and I know also for myself like I wanted this but then everything got you know postponed and canceled in 2020 so to kind of see you got what I was dreaming of like you got the dream and you're experiencing it I'm like I'm so happy for her (laughs) (laughs) thank you but that's exactly what and like Oh my gosh, Liz Needle was <laughs> sobbing and it was the case I've ever seen. Like she surprised me so much. It was so funny. Um and like Lena tore her knee, right? Like we're yeah. knee friends and we've like since had um conversations about like the mental part of like that process. And we'd kind of never done that before the 2022 season, but like always known what each other was going through. And so uh 
it was just so special to have all those girls there. Thank you. Yeah, um, this is this is what I mean. Like you, I don't think you realize the extent of it because I think on some level, I mean, obviously we were all chasing the same goals and, and like you're achieving what everybody dreamed of. And we can all relate in a way like Lena with the knee and me with the big ending of the career and, and like all of this. And it's just... Thank you. I, I hope you, just, you enjoy this for the rest of your life. <laughs> I will. I am. It's so fun. Um, and it's like my happy place. So I'll kind of get to that. But like that, that phenomenon, like that, you understanding like what it would feel like to get this storybook ending was the same experience as being flag bearer in Tokyo, because yeah. the messages that I got from people who I had known for 10 years, like it was like, it wasn't like just that team elected me flag bearer. It was like every teammate from every team I had ever been on was saying to me, like, you are the right choice. And, um, the messages I got from people who also hadn't made finals or also hadn't been on the podium. Cause like American Olympians, like are still, it's an exclusive club, right? But there are hundreds more than from any other country in the world. Like I a hundred percent recognize that. So there's just this massive group of people relatively who went to the Olympics, but weren't on the podium. And as an American Olympian, like the only question you get when you come home is like, why didn't I see you on TV? It's because I didn't medal. It's because I didn't succeed at the level that like enough people from the United States did. And so like my journey was not highlighted um, the same way that you would expect it to be, because I know that you are proud of me, but like, the media isn't as proud of me as they are of other people. So the messages that I got from people are exactly what you're saying about like being able to understand what it would be like, um, because they're all from like fellow non-medalists who said to me, this makes my experience feel more valid. Like your election as flag bearer, your representation of like the hundreds of Olympians who also didn't medal is super important to me. And I was like, that's the coolest thing that I could ever hear from somebody. And I don't know that I would have been able to like as eloquently say that to somebody else. So those messages were super important. And what you're saying is super important to me. Cause like, it's still this tiny world of javelin and it's just like, we care about it so much. And it's just, why wouldn't you try to do your best in this one little weird thing that you found out you were really good at. And I'm just like, it's so fun to have actually that yeah but I don't think it's just javelin it's just this world like anybody you know any athlete I think can relate to that yeah so and it was really special to get a lot of those messages too so um American record first PB in 12 years absolutely wild and then I went to Zurich um and I won that too (laughs) I got the trophy um and it was so weird to just like giggle through the entire competition like I was like I finally threw a PB I cannot believe it still like I was just floating for that entire week of like training and Russ and I went to Prague and we saw castles and we had dinner with Barbara and Barbara was like at the Diamond League final and she's just this legend of the javelin who I got to spend my last season with um and yeah on my last throw in Zurich like I would have loved to 
drop another bomb, right? But um, my series average was 63 meters even yeah, it was like at that competition. Another crazy, crazy competition. Yeah. It just shows when you're having fun. Yeah, and it's, then I went home. It's insane. How was yeah. that? To I just want to, like, we've been talking for a good while here, but I want to finish with that. Like, how was it then, you know, waking up the day after and realizing I have thrown javelin competitively for the last time in my life? Mm-hmm. Um, Were you sure? I th- Did you ever think maybe? Yeah. I was sure at the time. Okay. But you have I'll had doubts that. since. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that. I was sure at the time. Um, and the only reason now, because like I was very sure, Russ and I went to Budapest um, in 2023 to watch uh, and I loved it. Like I had no feelings of like, I, I don't miss. And like, the thing is I won the diamond league final in 2022. I had a buy to world championships in 2023. I had a wild card. Yeah. And I said, no, thank you. <laughs> I was sure. <laughs> that would have been hilarious to just show up like, Hey, <laughs> and I really, I told myself like in 2023, if I had trained by like March, I feel like I would have been able to because the United States also used to require athletes to compete at national championships to make, even if they had a wild card, but that wasn't true in 2023. So, um, I like moved. So I thought that maybe I could show up to worlds and compete, but like, I just didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't have the fire and I loved just like experiencing world championships. I'm very inspired by Catherine Mitchell. She's like always been my age example. Um, she's four years older than me. So like each year that she's done something amazing, like she's the master's world record holder from 35 to 39 years old, um, at 6892. So like, even though I threw 6811 at 36, like I am not the best to ever have done that at that age. Um, and I was like, so proud of her making that final in Budapest. Yeah, was um, oh my gosh. So like, Catherine, my friend Adeline Gray had twins in 2022, like the day of finals at in Eugene, which is really fun. Like she like wouldn't let them take her back before my sixth throw. <laughs> she was like in labor. <laughs> and then I watched her make her 10th world championships team in wrestling this June. And she got bronze wow. in freestyle wrestling. Um there are so many women in the world who I am amazed by. And I just keep looking at myself and saying, like, did I, did I finish my career too early? Like I know two ACLs is a big deal. I felt very strongly about like going out on my own terms because I thought that like this was maybe a season ending injury the second time. Um, and I also have just intense curiosity. Yeah. How good could I still feel? So I'm not saying it's a comeback, but like I can do what I want. This is what uh, what kept you going for these 12 years. Yeah. Like, but I can't do better. I think I can't do better. So you're not changing your Instagram handle to Kara through Jav anytime soon. <laughs> I thought about it so many times this year and I never did it. And I feel like maybe that's a sign. But um, I'm also really enjoying... So to answer your question, like, what did it feel like to wake up the next day? I felt the same. And like the absolute gift of 2022 is that I like will always have track and field as my happy place. Yeah. Like I know a lot of people who didn't go out on their own terms. Like I watched my husband deal with not making Olympic teams. Um, 
I don't know what that feels like. And I can't believe that I get to say that. Like I did everything that I ever wanted and I already felt that way before 2022, but I cannot believe that I got this gift of just like peace from the sport. And again, I know that that would have been true anyway, because I've watched so many amazing people like be wonderful anyway, without like the ultimate payoff. Um, but it'll always be my happy place. I will always be happy to be at competitions. I want to be around the sport in ways that I know that people who don't get ultimately what they want out of sport have a harder time doing. And I'm really enjoying giving back to the sport in other ways as well. I've done like webcasting. Um, I want to coach coaches because like I'm an athlete. Why would I imagine that I could coach athletes? But I know the technique. There's a lot of space in U.S. track and field that like throws coaches are shot put discus hammer. Yeah. And they think they don't understand javelin, but there are a lot of positions that you can like translate between the two. So how yeah. can I help the collegiate system like understand the event that I love better? Because it's still lagging behind the other throwing events in the and United I mean, States. If you coach the coaches, you can help so much more athletes than if exactly. you coach athletes. It's like yes. you can maximum have what, let's say five ten if you want to be really busy. Mm-hmm. But if you coach coaches, they can go on and each of them help you know, five, and the coach athlete relationship being like something that I respect so much. Like I don't want to bust into that by just telling the athlete what they should be doing because like, that's not respectful of anybody. Like you can get so much further if you like foster that relationship. Um, so I just love being around it. Uh, I had no regrets in Budapest, um, for not competing. I loved watching, you know, yeah, I loved watching well on my own Twitter and I like webcast um, at USA's at the Tucson meet that was like throws only. I did a lot of work with Tracktown USA this year to like promote the throws and expose throws fandom in the US. And I'm hoping to get to do that stuff in the future, too. So um, I worked full time. I left that job in October. Um Cause like with a full year of full-time employment, like at a job that gave me so much and I'm super grateful for, it just became really clear that like, this isn't where I get my joy and my satisfaction. Like I'm really struggling daily to figure out like how to be happy in this scenario. And I know I could keep doing it and succeed at it, but that's not fair to me and it's not fair to the company. And they were absolutely wonderful, like about me leaving. Um, And I get to like have this little break in a way that I never have before, like after sport and after um, this foray into full-time employment, my first one, um, and keep tapping into really cool throws opportunities. So whatever that looks like in the future, I'll be involved in some way. Yeah, Um, your passion for the sport is just so obvious that I think you're always going to be involved in some way. But I think, yeah, before we wrap up, this has been a great conversation. So much gold in here. And we've been talking way longer than I was planning sorry, to. But it was just, sorry. no, it was just yeah. so much gold in there. And I think it's it's so important to get out. But I want to ask you a few questions that I always want to end with here on my episode. And since you're the first one, I can't say I have always asked, but I will <laughs> always be asking. So I just want to, if you just give me a very, very short, just one to two sentence answer. If, if you... Do you think that your career would have looked differently now that you have the hindsight if you had done something to like really train or strengthen your mind right from the start, if you worked on it right from the start? Yes, but I don't know 
if I would have been able to strengthen it in the way that it needed to be strengthened. Um, yeah, that you didn't realize what you needed. Yeah, I think that perspective is kind of everything. And I, I learned like the have fun lesson multiple times in my NCAA career. Like I would be terrible at NCAAs and then go to national championships two weeks later and win <laughs> like, because I just like let go of the result. Um, it's easier when you're not competing at a high level. Uh, the, yeah. the further you get in your sport, you kind of the more pressure, the more serious you get, and then it gets harder to relax and have fun. Yeah. So I, I want to say yes, but I don't know who would have gotten through to me to like teach me the right kind of mental strength. Ah, I understand. But then is another question that I have for you. And this is something that I encourage every athlete to just be, just know, ask yourself and know this, but I want to know what was your why? Why did you throw the javelin? Why did you go on for 20 years? Even when you didn't PB for 12, like what was your why? I think community always. And I know that I'm like super lucky. I don't want to be so cliche. Like I found my husband in track and field and that was true from the outset. Like we met on a junior team, a North American, Central American, Caribbean championship team, like under 23. So like it was just always so intertwined with how we spent time together. Um, and that's how it started and how it ended, but wasn't necessarily true in the middle. So I was able to like explore other relationships too. And like I said, I think the introverted part of me like really likes connecting with people in this niche sport. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, we've been coming back to this over and over again, like community and connection to other people is uh, very important to you. And I, I love that you recognized it and used it. Yeah. And I think <laughs> the the puzzle pieces of Javelin too, like the inevitable, endless pursuit of the perfect throw yeah. is something that's really interesting to me too. And like a, a very internal like process. Yeah that I was able to do better when I had the support of other people, but always did on a really base level, like enjoy the, the detail of it, like the, the process of it. Yeah. The process, the process and community <laughs> come back to it. Yeah. And the final question, because the name of the podcast is the athlete's zone. And was there anything you did or how did you get in the zone? Like when you were competing, like what did you do to get into that laser focus? Um, I, I really like this question because I think it can be more simple than people want it to have to be. Um, I used to do like very structured warmups to compete and I like had everything written down and I had to do all the things and I knew exactly when I needed to start. And then like each step was very calculated. And I thought that that was important for my body to like understand that it was time to compete. Like this is my competition warm up but it became handcuffs. Like it was just so like rigid and not good for my mental space. Cause if I was like two minutes late, I would be worried the whole time that I was warming up, et cetera, et cetera. So in 2019, actually at Pan Am's, like when I changed my grip back to what I was familiar with, I was like, I'm just going to listen to my body today. (laughs) And I did whatever I wanted to warm up. And that remained true for the rest of my career. Like, what do I feel today? I know what my body needs to feel like to throw well. So like 
whatever I need to do in the moment to make that happen is what I'm going to do. And it just like allowed all this freedom. If I had a wall, cool, I could throw a ball. If I don't have a ball or a wall to throw my ball into, like I'm not going to throw the ball because I can do something else to like warm my body up in a specific way. So the freedom of that to like tap into who you are on that day always helped my performances and helped me get into the zone. So it was just for you to listen to what your body needed and give it what it needed. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, I didn't understand that that was what was happening. Like when I did it the first time in 2019, but it like became so obvious that like, um, that is what fed into listening to myself at practice in 2022, blah, blah, blah. And, um, just having more practice at that, like made the zone, the athlete zone, like more accessible over time. I absolutely love it. So Thank you so much. But before we end it, where can people find you if they want to follow you? And if I know that you have warm up programs, I know you're selling them dirt cheap, (laughs) but they're amazing. (laughs) And you were um, so incredibly creative with them. So tell people where they can find you, connect with you on social media and get your warm up programs or anything else that you want to tell people about. Yeah. So carawinger.com is where my warmups live. My website is very outdated, but it's on my list for December to update. So stay tuned. Um, but the warmups remain there. Uh, everything is active. You could purchase them for dirt cheap right now. Um, and those are rehab influenced, right? So they're fairly specific to me, but I had like every injury that a javelin thrower can have except for elbow knock on wood. Um, so there's a lot in there for everybody. And then social media, Kara Throws Jav is like most of my handles everywhere. Um, I haven't delved into TikTok, but I'm going to soon. Uh, I want to do the niche like video review thing on TikTok because I get a lot of athletes that send ah, videos. That's cool. But I don't, and I don't want to charge money necessarily to review them because like it's not that time consuming and it's not something everyone can do. But like if I can get a social media presence out of it, that's my plan. Yeah. Really cool. So I'll um, make sure to put all of these links to the show notes and uh, so people can go and find you. Kara, thank you so much for being with me for so long. It was, uh, I knew that people could learn so much from you. And just like I knew we would laugh and cry and <laughs> everything yes. in this conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so much for doing this. I know it'll be valuable to a lot of people. And if you need me to split me up into two episodes, you feel free. It's your podcast. (laughs) I might need to get you to come again because we didn't even cover everything. (laughs) Love it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Again, honored to be your first guest. Well done finishing another episode of the Athlete Zone podcast. Connect with me at Athlete Zone podcast on Instagram and share your thoughts. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you prefer to listen to your podcast so you never miss an episode. Until next time, train smart.